Hello, everybody. Thank you for clicking on my face to listen to this sermon online. Uh, My name is Ben Thompson. I'm the youth and associate pastor here at GVF. If we've never met, I'd love to meet you in person someday. Uh, It is my pleasure and honor to be able to give you this sermon for the next 90 to 120 minutes, so bear with me. Um, The past few weeks, we have been looking at uh, the topic of names and the significance of what we're called and what we call other people. Last week, Brother Omar shared with us a sermon called, Who Are You?, And he shared that there is a war being waged for our identity between our Heavenly Father and Satan. And they're trying to call you by what you either were, as in Satan, sin, past, or what you can be or will be, as in the Lord, God, your Heavenly Father, wants to redeem you. And we are called loved. We are called worthy because of who created us, our Father God. So don't ever let yourself be called something else because of what Satan is telling you. Today, we're going to look at one of the most prolific Bible characters of all time, other than uh, Jesus. We're going to look at Moses. And in keeping with the names theme that we've been on, Moses' name literally means taken out, drawn forth. In Egypt, his name meant son. And in Hebrew, his name means saved from water. And we'll see today that the Lord certainly bookended, as in started and finished, Moses' life with significant water-based events. He became his namesake. I'm calling today's sermon, Moses and the Humble Blue Jay, and soon you will see why. Who has ever seen a blue jay? Quick show of hands. I literally saw one as I was writing this sermon freaked me out because I was writing about the Blue Jay and there it landed on my deck and I thought, this is a sign from the Lord. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a sign from the Lord or just a crazy coincidence, but we're going to learn about the Blue Jay today. Something that I learned from my nine-year-old a couple weeks ago. So I'm looking at the Blue Jay. My nine-year-old says, Blue Jays aren't blue. And I'm like, I mean, my kids come out with crazy facts all the time. You know, one time it was, Dad, did you know an elephant weighs the same as 10,000 marbles? And I'm like, I I can't do that conversion. Google couldn't even help me there. Blue jays aren't blue. So I did what every respectable parent did as I, I Googled it. And you know what I found, you guys? They're not. Blue jays are brown. That's right. When you see one of these blue beauties out in the wild. You're actually seeing something that is not the truth. When I went to Google, I ended up on YouTube. I watched this documentary from National Geographic. Feel free to fact check me if you're blown away and floored by this fact that blue jays are not blue. Apparently, every other pigment that's found in nature, orange, yellow, red, green, the whole variety, they are pigment-based. So when you see them, just like the blue shirt that I'm wearing now, the actual fiber or the feather or the fin is those colors, orange, red, green, whatever. With blue, nature can't produce blue very easily. There are very, very, very rare exceptions. But on the whole, including the blue jay, the blue is actually a refracted light. Like a diamond, when you see a clear diamond and the sun hits it, what comes out of it are colors like yellow and red and green and blue. That's what the blue jay's feathers 
do. It's sort of like a Christmas tree, I learned, and the top few layers, which are brown, are invisible to our eyes. And then as you get deeper, our eyes can only perceive the larger color bands, the color waves, which are actually blue. So because of our visual limitations, we can only see the blue in a blue jay, which is actually a brown jay. Dun, dun, dun. Now raise your hand if you were today years old when you found that out. I hope that there are hand, hands raised all over the place. So it's this idea that truth lies beyond our perceptions. It's a strange little place that the Blue Jay illustrates, and our man Moses knew very well. We're going to spend some time in that space. Moses, drawn out of, saved from water. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. This space is so intriguing to me and should be to all of you who believe in the Bible and want to follow in the steps of Jesus. He was constantly pushing people past what they could perceive with their senses, talking about eternal truths, using parables to relate eternal truths to our finite minds and eyes and hearts. Now, another hand-raising exercise. Raise your hand if you've seen the story of Moses as told by Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. Okay, all the old people just raise their hands, including me. Um, if you've seen that, it's a great movie. Charlton Heston is a good-looking man's man, and he plays the role extremely well. Apparently, it's coming out again in 4K, I think, this year. Could be wrong. Okay, hands down. Now raise your hand if you're a younger person and you've seen the Prince of Egypt's retelling of this same story, Moses, Pharaoh, crossing of the Red Sea. Okay, I've also got my hand raised here. I've seen both of them. This is the cartoon version of that same story. And it's great. They both do a really good job of telling this story found in Exodus 14. Unfortunately, both of those huge movies, there's even another movie which was re released in like 2015, uh, which is just terrible. It's called Exodus of God and Kings, Save Your Time. Um, they dropped the ball on the most important part, the actual crossing of the Red Sea. And that's where we're going to spend some time uh, today to talk about Moses, this miracle, his faith in what he knew was reality but could not perceive. So for the uninitiated, this story is found in the second book of the Bible, the Old Testament, a book called Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 14. I'll give you a little bit of backstory as we head into where we're going to be today. So Pharaoh had just freed or released the Israelites, a.k.a. all of his slaves and manual labor. He let them go after the 10th plague. Uh, most of you would know that Moses famously went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, which Pharaoh said no. And then Moses proceeded to uh, release these plagues anointed by God, uh, frogs and locusts and the, turn the, the water to blood and, and more to get Pharaoh to bow to God and acknowledge his power and let his people go which he did, finally, after the 10th plague. And as soon as all the labor started pouring out of Pharaoh's kingdom, he panicked. He immediately regretted that decision. So he sent his army to pursue Israel as they fled his kingdom. Now, this is where it gets interesting. 
God actually told Moses the route to take to get out of Israel. And it wasn't the quick way, which is so God. It's so Bible, guys. And that's where we're going to be here today. Exodus 13, 18 says, God took them and then Moses took them around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. So I've got a map of where they were here. You can see Egypt label, labeled there on the left-hand side of the screen. They were fleeing Egypt, which is on the western side of the continent. You can see that word Exodus route, which heads down towards the south, not straight across. The, the promised land was actually closer to Egypt than the route they took. So God said, take around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. So down through the wilderness of Egypt, God's chosen people whom he loved went the long way. Okay, take note of that. It'll be important later. And then they got stuck. Okay, Israelites pursuing God's chosen people were trapped by geographical features that made it impossible for them to get out in modern day combat terms. We call this a kill box. <laughs> they were stuck. There was no way to get out. So now Moses looks like the worst leader. The optics are bad. Here come the murderers. Now, because God instructed Moses to take his people to that exact spot, Moses being a man of faith, did what any man of faith did. He prayed his butt off. Lord, what are we doing here? And it's interesting, there was a Jewish philosopher, Phileo Judaeus, who was born about 20 BC. He was a contemporary of the more well-known Josephus. He wrote that they were actually enclosed like a shoal of fish. You can imagine like a, how a shark or even a dolphin, they sort of swim around their prey until they get them right where they want them. And then they swim straight through them and they devour them. And that's what Philo, Philo uh, Judaeus said about them, a bad move. So here we go. We're going to pick up the biblical text. It's Exodus chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 10. Here we go. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves left in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Dramatic. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12, didn't we say to you in Egypt, just leave us alone, Moses. Let us serve as slaves, the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the desert. Oh. Guys, if you missed it, the people are panicking. And Moses is leading to the best of his ability. Scholars estimate there were 600,000 people following Moses out of Egypt to the kill box at the edge of the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are close. So close that God had to intervene by holding them back from actually getting and killing his chosen people. Moses was certain that God would deliver them. Moses, if anybody, could see brown jays. He could see past what was there beyond human perception. He knew, he knew, he knew in his soul, which was not a five sense. It was just his spiritual sense saying, God would not deliver us from Pharaoh only to kill us by the Red Sea. He was seeing a brown jay when he said the following. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. 
Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, guys, I don't know if you've really imagined the weight of what he's just said. Here's the scenario. We've got Moses armed to the teeth with a beard and a stick. <laughs> the, 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 is, the Egyptians pursuing them with chariots. That was the top. That was like tanks today. They've got chariots coming after them. The whole army pursuing them, shouting murderous taunts at the ex-slaves. We're going to get you guys and chop your head off. It was tense. And there's Moses. What's his military advice? Stand firm. Be still. God's got this. In fact, has anyone got one of those zero gravity chairs, the ones that recline? If you've got a camping chair, pull it out. Be still. You'll never see these guys again. These are big words, guys, from a guy who has no weapons and they're trapped. This is a brown jay. Now, this part isn't biblical, but I can see Moses's friends coming to him and saying, look, Moses, Moses, okay, you're my guy, all right? I got you. When you killed that Egyptian guy, I didn't tell nobody, Moses. When you did the, the frogs, the blood, the gnats, all that stuff. I got you. You're my guy. No problem. But Moses, my son just got hit by a boot. The Egyptians are so close. They're throwing stuff at us. My wife got hit in the head with an axe handle. They're saying things, Moses, about you. They're saying things about me, my kids. You know, Moses, my guy, they're saying things about God that I can't even repeat. Can you please give us more than the be still thing? Can you please tell us what plan B is? It feels like we're at plan C, Moses. Come on. And Moses, here's his response, verse 16. The Lord says to Moses, sorry, in verse 16, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And this is where the movie, The Ten Commandments and the Prince of Egypt, they got their script and their inspiration. They, they sense that tension. Egyptians pursuing, Israelites trapped, commandment from God, stretch out your hand to divide the waters. Bang! You're going to go through on the dry ground. That's where they sat. But unfortunately, we're going to skip a little bit here just to go to verse 21 to talk about what actually happened. Here we go. Verse 21, the part Hollywood forgot, but you will remember after today. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and it turned to dry land. Now, I want you to please repeat after me, all night. Great. Now, I want you to say east wind. I can't actually hear you. I'm just hoping and praying somebody's doing it. All night, east wind. This isn't in the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston or the Prince of Egypt. Imagine this. Remember I showed you that map earlier. Here's another look at it. There's a closer look. 
They were coming from the west, down the southern route, through the wilderness, a.k.a. which got them trapped by the mountains, down the southern tip, rounding the corner. They went up to a place called the wall. They got stuck, turned around, and camped in the place where God said to camp, which was what I've been referring to as the kill box. They couldn't get out of there. So in this space, this is where the great command came to hold your hand out over the sea all night. And I'm going to send an east wind. The problem is, if you look at where they were situated, they were actually on the western shore. The eastern wind, you guys, is no good. It's not helpful. It's not immediate. So this is where the tension comes in. Moses needed Brown Jay faith. Moses had all these panicking people around him saying, we're going to die. Let us be buried in Egypt. They could see and perceive the problem. Moses's job was to see beyond that, to see the truth that God's got this. They only need to sit and be still. Imagine the tension. An hour goes by. two hours. No part. Just a guy, an old guy at the sea with a stick. Three hours. It's getting dark. Four, five, six. Now we don't know exactly how long the night was, but the Bible says all night the Lord sent an east wind. This tension is undeniable. You've got an old guy at the sea, the Egyptians screaming at them, throwing stuff at them, waiting for God to let them get at the people they want to murder. The Israelites, God's chosen people, feeling stressed. Oh my gosh, we're going to get killed. What's happening, Moses? Man of faith at the water, stick raised. It's midnight. It's one, two, three, four, five. Are you feeling it? 6 a.m. perhaps. Nothing happens. There's no opening of the water, you guys. It's not this. The Prince of Egypt movie, which is great. You should see it. Has this triumphant staff stabbing in the water where Moses is like... As he jams his staff into the water, it recedes like a chemical experiment. The, the music is great. The moment is epic. It's very Hollywood. Same in the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. The people, yay! Moses, move through, God's chosen people. And they go through. It really has quite a moment in the movies. But it was closer to this. Just a guy with a stick looking at some water. This miracle had never been done before. The people had no idea what was coming. Even Moses didn't say, God's going to let us walk through after he parts this in about eight hours. There was no plan that clear. This is what they would have seen. The back of a guy with no plan except to just keep waiting. This is bold, guys. Do you think this is where God wanted his chosen people? God made the plan, not Moses. God said, do this, take them there. You'll see my power. Do you think God wanted his chosen people to feel like they were going to die with no plan of escape? 
The answer is yes. The answer is yes. This is a terrifying, horrific example and an unforgettable reminder of what God needs his chosen people to remember. Trust in only me. Trust in only me. I got this. I've got you. And guys, Moses knew this. He knew that's where God was sitting. In verse 24, we're going to pick up the reading now. The waters divided and the Israelites went through on the sea on dry ground and a wall of water on their left and their right. The Israelites went through on what? Dry ground? Say it with me. Dry ground. Guys, there is always a purpose in the patience when you're following God. God was literally doing the groundwork. Literally, God was doing the groundwork while they waited on the seabed, you guys. Think about it. God was working the whole time from the east, the other side. Why? Imagine, flipping around, Prince of Egypt script, Ten Commandments script, when he jams the staff in the water, follow me. What are a lot of seabeds like that have been underwater for, I don't know, let's call it a thousand years Guys, they're wet. It's quicksand. It's death. So the the people feeling panicked, right? It changes the script totally. Firstly, Moses gets a lot of glory in that scenario, the Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt one, because he's amazing. That staff is so powerful. Moses knew what was going on. Follow me. And the people rush to where the water has just cleared within minutes. It's quicksand. You got people getting trampled on. They're not learning anything about God. They're relying on Moses or that staff. And now they're stuck in the boggy quicksand at the bottom of the Red Sea. God was doing something that people could not comprehend. He's thinking, guys, in order for you to cross the Red Sea, I need the ground to be dry. The people saw what God needed them to see. Not a strong, muscular good-looking, confident leader with a plan in Moses, what they saw was a man of faith with flaws and a stuttering problem. Moses was not the perfect leader. He didn't give them plan B. He gave them plan A, which was we're going to have faith in God even if it kills us. And I'm going to stand at this sea So you can see what God's going to do through me. A man of faith at an impasse in a corner. A weak, helpless man with a stick and a prayer. Wow. What beautiful imagery. What a position God's got his chosen people in. I can do anything if you trust me. If you listen to where I lead you, I can do all things, not you. You may not know the plan God's saying, but follow me and follow those who do. It's awkward. It's brown jay. It's faithful. It's way longer than they wanted in that situation relevant to someone who is a murderer chasing you. The whole eight hour thing, guys, it's like calling 911. When you're at home, it's late at night, it's dark. Someone's jiggling the door. 
They've got the ski mask on. They're obviously a burglar. You can see them from your bedroom. You're on 911 and you're put on hold. You are listening to the best of the 80s, 90s, and today. While there is a burglar jiggling the door. This is too long. Hold music, no good. I need help right this second. That's the situation the Israelites are in. Lord, waiting is not an option. But God says, you've got to go through it. You've got to go through it. I'm going to conclude in this space. Where do you need this kind of faith? What part of your life are you at an impasse? What have you been praying for for way too long in your mind? What has God not done for you? Where do you need to have faith in what you can't see? You don't see any progress. Like the Israelites on the western shore with that eastern wind coming, they don't see the progress for way too long. Where are you? Guys, this message is for someone. Here it is. Stop worrying about what you can't control and do what God called you to do. Have faith. And let him have dominion over your life, over the biggest decisions of your life, even with life itself. Through Moses and this story of the east wind, we see the model and template of how God wants us to rely on him faithfully, wholly. Human perceptions be darned. We love to say, oh, seeing is believing. Not with God. God's doing so many things you can't see, but you believe if you're walking with God. He's still doing them in your life, in your heart, and in your future if you have faith. This message is for the father whose son is too far gone. They're walking away from the faith and from their family and they don't see any sign of them returning. Hold that stick up, brother. This message is for the mother who's not a mother yet, but feels in her loins that she should be. Hold that stick up, sister. This message is for someone who is sick and not getting better. There are no signs of improvement. Be faithful. Sit back. You can't control it, but you can have faith in God who can. This is for the singles, the sick, the jobless, those who are addicted. Keep that staff raised. That's your job. You keep the faith. Even though you don't perceive what God's doing, you can't feel it, you can't see it, it's been too long. Keep that staff raised. You keep that staff raised. The story of Moses and the humble blue jay reminds us reality is not what you can perceive. It's what God says it is. God controls all the outcomes. He holds all the keys. He doesn't need to operate within your five senses or mine. God's the alpha, the omega. And he says he has plans for you. Trust him. Be still. There's a purpose in the process God's taking you through. 